Welcome to Rebel and Create's Fatherhood Field Notes podcast, where we're going to hear real stories from real men living real lives. I'm your tour guide, Ned Shout. Fatherhood is not only about being a dad, it incorporates providing and serving in your home, loving and serving your spouse, engaging and serving in community, as well as intentionally serving your kiddos. Fatherhood is an adventure, one full of fun, wild, and messy stories. In this podcast, we will hear stories from real men who have found themselves living the adventure of fatherhood. These stories will connect us and allow us to continue to grow into the men fatherhood is calling us to be. I bring each guest on due to a specific story they've shared with me, ones that I think will make you laugh or help you grow. Get ready. This is episode two. I would like to introduce you to my good friend, Ryan. We have known each other for about eight years and our families have spent some time together and uh, he's just all around great guy. Thank you, Ryan, for being on the podcast. It's great to be here. Yeah, man. Uh, I'm I'm excited about it. So to kind of give people a little framework of who is Ryan, I'm just going to ask you a couple questions so that they can kind of get a picture of who you are. All right. Yeah, for sure. Um, How long have you been married? It'll be 14 years uh, this coming July. Nice. We got married about the same time, so... Yeah, July 16th. And we're July 10th, so... Cool. Rad. Uh, how many kids you guys have? Uh, we have three kids. Um, my oldest daughter, Aubrey, is 10. She just turned 10 in March. My uh, middle, my son, Daniel, he just turned 6 on Monday. And then my youngest, Molly's 2. Dang, that's awesome. Yeah. So fun. Yeah. Um, what do your kids call you? They have a certain name for you? Yeah, it's kind of cool. I, I, um, my oldest daughter, she still calls me daddy. Yeah, and I, I love that. Yeah, um, and she's gonna, ten. Yeah, I, I think awesome. I'll be pretty sad for maybe a couple weeks when that changes. Yeah, but, and then my uh, my son, he actually calls me like daddyum, daddy. He's got it's awesome. I just the way he says it, it's oh man, it just makes me melt. And then uh, my youngest daughter, she's probably got as clear of speech as a normal five-year-old and she's two and she says daddy it's awesome so that's cool pretty similar yeah yeah um okay so just to kind of give a little bit of a understanding of what you do what when you're not awesome dad and husband at home um what do you do during the day yeah i um i'm a regional sales manager for a company called lasi and we distribute employee benefits through brokers and agents throughout the state of california um, I have been at the company now for 10 years. I just had my 10 year anniversary. That's awesome. Congratulations. Um, in May. Yeah. Thanks. Good place to be then. Yeah. And, um, yeah. So it's been really good. Cool. Now back to fatherhood. So as a dad, what has been some of the best resources to you over the last 10 years as you've learned to be a dad to your kids? Yeah, I think, um, especially in the last year, I think uh, I've, so much awareness and discovery has come into um, just for myself um, and just healing and learning. And I think uh, the biggest thing that I would say for a man and a father is to always be teachable. I said there was a point in my 20s when I didn't want to receive wisdom from other people because it was convicting or made me face things I was running from. Mm. And I think that to be a father and to be an ultimate dad that unconditionally loves their kids I think that you individually have to be whole and healed and I think there's a process and um, everyone that's born has some sort of viral pattern that potentially was passed down from from generation to generation and once that generation discovers it becomes aware and 
utilizes ama- there's amazing resources out there to heal through that i believe that that will change their trajectory of your of your gener- of your uh, bloodline wow so was there so you said teachable so is there a moment that you felt like you became teachable yeah i mean i think that i had people in my life that kind of woke me up to um, things that I needed to work through that that I think as guys we compartmentalize a lot of things and um, I think unfortunately like our, our generation over the last 50 years has taught us as men to be tough and be strong and don't show emotion and unfortunately that's created a lot of uh, um, issues with men and, and um, problems and insecurities because it's not safe to be vulnerable and show emotion when I think that's the healthiest thing that we need to do as men and show our kids, not only just our sons, but our daughters that that's very healthy to um, express things and show emotion and work through things and not, not hold on to them. So that's really good, man. Yeah. So as you know, before we get into the story, um, rebel and create are words that I live by. Um, And what it means to me is to rebel against the view that my actions have little impact and create a life engaged in mastering the craft of fatherhood. And when I think of fatherhood, I don't just think about having kids. I kind of see it as in an ideal form, kids, spouse, or at least some sort of relationship with the kid's mom where you're respecting and the mom's a part of the kid's life. I think that's important. Uh, then your friends and the way that you view the community. So it's kind of four buckets really for, for how I see fatherhood. So what's something that you are currently rebelling against? Um, I would say it's just a global thing within my family. Um, I think in general, like a lot of parents, especially in our Western culture, there's just a lot of pressures in life. And I feel like we put a lot of unnecessary pressures and expectations on our kids and that creates a, a lot of long-term um, potential insecurities and, and lack. And I think as a dad, the biggest responsibility and, and joy is coming out of that you set your kids up well when they, um, they move forward and, and, and are living and living on their own and responsible for their own lives. But just creating that environment of um, safety and security and unconditional love and just kind of removing all those expectations that aren't helpful so that they can discover who they are in a healthy way and we can be there to support them and guide them in that process. I love to hear what you are rebelling against. And as you talked about it, you seem very intentional about thinking through the expectations on your kids. So it just led me to to think you know what were the expectations you felt like you had as a kid yeah I don't know if I had any specific expectations that put a lot of pressure on me but I think it was more of specifically with my dad I mean there was a lot of stuff that he went through and and and, um, a relationship that was broken for most of his life between him and his dad and I think that he had been trying to figure out and work through that in his way and a lot of that the outcome of that was just a lack of presence for me in my life because he he was trying to be a good dad, but I don't think he knew because he was dealing with his pain. Um, and so for me, just to be present and there for my kids to know that 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 constant, that love that we're supposed to be representations of is not questioned within the home. How do you think you're present to your kids in ways that your dad wasn't to you? Like, I, you I would, it? yeah, I would say time, um, 
and making specifically like the evenings and the weekends about Mm. them for the most part. And, um, whether it be turning off my phone for work and putting it in the bathroom and, uh, cause that's really the biggest distraction this, these days is, um, like work emails, LinkedIn. I'm not really big on other social media vehicles, but those are probably the two. I'm interrupting this important conversation that you probably just started getting into with a big announcement. During the month of November and the beginning of December 2019, I need your help and this is all hands on deck. I've created a daily journal designed to help dads like you and I stay focused on being the engaged and intentional fathers we desire to be. Do you ever feel like I do sometimes, like you're not cutting it, you're not hitting the mark as a father? Well, my hope is that this journal would be one tool that could help you get there. But it will not come to market unless it is funded. We are doing this through a crowdfunding website where it's all or nothing. So please go to our Instagram or Facebook at Rebel and Create and follow links to our Kickstarter campaign for the Fatherhood Legacy Journal. Or you can go to kickstarter.com and in the search put in Fatherhood Legacy Journal or Rebel and Create Fatherhood Legacy Journal and it'll pop up and we need your help. So please buy a journal for yourself, for a friend, or for a dad that you know. We would so appreciate it because we believe fatherhood matters and we're doing all we can to spread the word and create tools that will help support dads everywhere. And now back to that important conversation you were just getting into. And then like when we're on vacation, I literally turn my phone off and I leave it in my drawer in my bathroom and it's gone. Like I try to forget about what I do. That's awesome. For 10 days or however long we're gone. Yeah. Wow. That's a good habit. Yeah, it's been... And a pretty simple way to show your wife, like, you and the kids are important. I would say she, at this point, appreciates it as much or more than the kids, for sure. And Because she... The thing that excites her the most is seeing me be fully engaged with our kids, and that just brings her a lot of joy, so... Dude, that's incredible. So, the other half of that question is, you know, what are you rebelling against, and then what are you creating out of that? But I think you totally just answered it. You know, you're creating space and really intentionality, right? So Absolutely. Intentionality is is the exact word. You have to be intentional or life will fly by and you don't, you realize that you never actually like built in important things into your day that invest into your kids' lives that that are invaluable. So what thing triggered you to have this feeling towards your wife and kids um, of intentionality and time? where, you know, you said your dad didn't have a good relationship with his dad, so it was really tough for him. So why isn't it tough for you? So I think it was, and I think there was a lot of things, like I said, I mean, there's a lot of broken dads from just, like, generations just passing down different patterns. And um, it was really probably about a year and a half ago when um, I really was struggling through some deep things and, and, and some really deep panic and anxiety. And there was a point for months where I was afraid to leave the house and, it drove me towards I have no option to heal because I'm literally living in hell right now. And this right. is this is I, I can't live like this. So um, I went in and, and uh, you know, one of the most pivotal people in my life uh, was my therapist, Samantha, who, you know, I've been seeing for about the past year. And she helped me uncover things that were really holding me back with my dad. And I, I basically wrote a letter, but I kind of went through it verbally with him. And it, it was kind of a three step wow. process. One to as the be, to be the victim and go hey here's all the things and all the hurt that I went through that maybe you weren't even aware of which is probably the case but I wanted to share that with you and then second 
how was I perpetuating the things that were passed down to me and acknowledging that, hey, I started doing the same things right. and this is the track it led me on. And then third, um, like transfiguring it and going, here's who I am and why I am the way I am through that. And this was the purpose through that. And just letting my dad know, hey, you know the way you felt about your dad and that and that lack of connection? Hey, did you know I felt the same? Wow. That's intense. <sighs> yeah, it's really intense. It's, it's getting me a little emotional right now. But um, How did he take it? That was unbelievable. Um, I'll never forget it. We I took him out to lunch, and um, I think it was Ninja Sushi off Vernon Street, and we had a, like, about a three-hour lunch and just went through it. And my my relationship with him has been amazing ever since. Dude, that's incredible and exciting because it's like it matters, right? We're adults, and it still freaking matters. This and, is our life. Yeah. I mean, every heartbeat, every breath is a gift. And, and going through the time that I went through where I literally thought like this might be my last breath, it makes you aware of how fragile life is yeah. more than ever. And it's just your level of appreciation, which we'll get into a, in a story in a little bit, that appreciation is, is so key. And it, it resets your focus on not what do I not have, but what do I have. Yeah. And I think there's so much that we have to be thankful for. Um, it, it's it's really easy to flip back to that mindset if, if you just put your energy into that. So, dude, I love it. I'm ready to talk about that story. But before I do, was there – I don't think any of us wake up and go, um, you know what, I'm going to go ahead and go see a therapist today. So was there a moment or something significant or a person or something? Because I think dudes right now are going – shoot, I probably need that. I probably need to freaking do that. So what is the trigger to say, pick up the phone and freaking make it happen? Yeah, that's a great question. And um, all I have to say to this day, behind every great man is a great woman. And um, my wife, because I literally looked at her and I had tried everything. I had tried diet. I would tried exercise. I would tried just cutting out like any alcohol or whatever I felt like was a hindrance towards me. And it worked for a while. And then it got to the point where it's like, what, what do I need to do? I can't live like this anymore. And, and my wife is like, have you, have you tried to see a therapist? And she kind of pushed me to that. And then um, a good friend of mine who I'd been working out with and, and spending the mornings with a few days a week had been seeing someone uh, for about a year. And he just said, please reach out to her. Tell her that I gave, um, gave you her name. And she's been amazing. And it's been, it's been amazing the process and I'm so thankful for that referral and my wife encouraging me to um, to do that and I think that there's people that are really good at their craft I think that there are some therapists that maybe aren't super helpful but when you find someone that's really good and they're really passionate and they have a process that actually produces outcomes and healing like like um, the therapist that I've been seeing I think that any man can gain value from that I think the healthy way to do it is to be proactive, but sometimes as guys, we're not proactive with important things in our life, like our mental health, and we're just always doing and providing and trying to do everything, and, and we need to take care of ourselves and make ourselves whole, because that's how you can really be the best dad, yeah. I think, possible. That's huge, man. Yeah, that's good. Yeah. All right, so a few years ago, I don't know, probably over lunch or something, you had shared a story with me um, about when you guys had your first kid and I just thought, man, this story is so real and so relevant and so many people go through the same thing, but don't 
talk about it or have an opportunity to have like good support, especially as a dad, right? Not that there's not stuff out there for a dad, but you know, a lot of times things happen and we just step up and we're like, all right, I'm put my head down. I'm tough this out. I'm going to be a provider and love my wife and whatever. So just share with us, you know, 10 years ago, having your first kid. Yeah. I mean, uh, part of the thing that I feel like I'm gifted with that really allows me to connect with people is I'm, I'm very empathic and emotional and sensitive and, and, and that's okay. Totally. Um, yeah, when we had our first kid, it was about four years after we got married. And again, I, I was unsure of, of what it meant to even have a kid or what type of father I would be because I, I felt like I still was dealing with all those insecurities had you guys been planning to have a kid or was it like we've been married and hey guess what? it was it was kind of like around around the time we were but it wasn't i mean my my wife had this plan rochelle i you know she wanted to have four kids okay um and i didn't really have any any idea or expectation you mean you hadn't been planning since no yeah exactly yeah is that is that normal (laughs) okay good that makes me feel better so then you hear all these other guys like yeah i want three i'm like is that really something you thought about for (laughs) liar yeah yeah you're lying so um but yeah, so it was it was about that time and it was um the timing of the universe to plan that for us cuz we did get pregnant and um everything seemed to be going well and then right about I think it was 25 weeks um of our pregnancy uh, it was about 1:30 in the morning and my wife woke me up and she's like she's like I'm I'm bleeding and I I just said I don't I just went into fight or flight mode and just we went straight to the hospital and um you know, they took some ultrasounds, and it turned out that she had this really rare thing called uh, Vasa Previa, where the um, the main like bloodline, I think, in, in the baby was actually um, kind of covering uh, the uterus or whatnot. And it's pretty scary. I mean, without the technology they have now in C sections, I mean, women would die in pregnancy because mm-hmm. of that, because there was no way for the baby to come out, and it was blocking the birth canal, and the mom would bleed to death and die. Yeah. So. Dang, um, that's scary. Yeah, so it was already there's already a lot of a lot of stress and anxiety, and we just I just wanted my wife to be healthy, and we wanted our um, our child to be healthy, and you know most of our other friends and relationships that had had kids, it was just like, hey, we're pregnant, we have a kid, um, everything was good, baby was healthy, and so it was really unique not only for us but our surrounding community. Um, so anyway, uh, they, they, uh, she was in intensive care on strict bed rest for um, probably four or five weeks. and then So just stay, did you just stay at the hospital at that point? She was at the hospital for about a week, and, then, um, and then, they, then she was released, but on like strict bed rest, like literally couldn't do anything but go to the bathroom so that baby could stay in as long as possible and, you know, and, and, and grow and do as much maturing in, inside the womb because they knew that she was probably going to have to be taken out early. Um, and it was going to have to be a C-section because of the situation. So you so. said that you just you just celebrated your 10-year anniversary at your job. Correct. Were you at this current job when this was all going down? Or were you doing something else? Yeah, so it's a great question. Um, I was... About a week after my daughter was born, I had started this job. Okay, so, so the time that your wife was on bed rest, were you having to stay home and help a lot? Or was family coming over? Or what did that look like? Yeah, I mean, family was helping. Uh, there was a period of time, and forgive me, a little bit of this time was blurry, but um, that I was out of work for four months, and that helped me um, be able to do that. And and the job, 
I was at the time, uh, you know, there was some flexibility there where there was like, hey, I, I can't come in. But there was a lot of family that was helping and okay. her mom because her um, her mom was still, you know, stay at home mom. And I think her dad was close to retirement. So uh, they were there was a lot of help there as well. Okay. Yeah. Cool. So. So what are you going through at this time? Like your wife's on bed rest. You're about to have your first kid. You're already a little bit anxious about being a dad. Yeah, and you just I mean, said it's a little blurry during this time. So, like, how are you feeling? Yeah, at this point, I think all I could handle was just kind of take one day at a time. And and every day that went by, that Rochelle was doing okay, and there wasn't a risk of you know of the baby just you know coming out in an emergency situation. Um, it was just kind of like a, a wait and see. And then um, I think it was about 32 weeks. They um, she had to go in and they, they, you know, they said, we need to get the, we need to get Aubrey out. And yeah. And I just never, yeah, it was craziest experience. We were in the OR, you know, that, that's a, that's an interesting experience anyway. You know, everything's, it's cold in there and really bright led lights. And there's this like sheet that goes over like, like your wife's head and I'm sitting behind it. And I think I peeked my head over one time and it was like the freakiest thing I've ever seen. And so <laughs> I was like, I'm, I'm not doing that anymore. <laughs> so, um, but yeah. And then I just remember they, they, they took Aubrey out and again, she was, she was quite a bit early, but, um, like right from the get go, you know, she was struggling to breathe and, uh, they said, Hey, we, we have to take her to the neonatal intensive care unit right away. And were you guys expecting that? No, no. I mean, we, because we just thought that the, this was just an issue like this random rare thing with her pregnancy and right. all that. We didn't, we didn't know that there was anything potentially going on with our daughter. And so, um, like not only is my wife going through this this experience which was way more traumatic for her i mean she's the one carrying Sheesh, our child yeah. and and that's just level of appreciation for her i mean just when you when you're married and you and you see your wife you know go through that process and deliver a baby it's it's pretty amazing and i i know i don't i wouldn't be able to go go through that but just to have that connection and having a living being growing inside of you and then immediately not being able to hold her and have have her be taken away right. somewhere else and, and plugged into a machine. I mean, I, I just, it, it was, it was a hard day and um, just being unsure and I'm trying to comfort my wife, but I'm, I'm a disaster, like trying to hold it together, you know? And um, yeah. So then what happened? So um, we're at Sutter Roseville and they, I think had a level to NICU and so there it, it was looking like there was a few things they were trying to diagnose her for while we were waiting for the genetic testing so did they come in and say hey we just need to put her in the NICU she's having trouble breathing or hey we think there's something serious going on or yeah what? yeah they weren't sure so that that was the that was what initiated that and then they went in and, and got got her connected up and um you know got her breathing stabilized and then um you know she wasn't she, they they realized quickly that she didn't have a gag reflex, which even at that even at 32 or 33 weeks, you know that a kid was born early, they would have that, and so that they, they brought you know the top geneticist from uh, Doctor Suara in from Sutter, and he basically like looked at my wife, and you know there was no really diagnosis. I mean my my wife's completely lived a normal life, but apparently she has like a low level. It's called myotonic dystrophy, and he's like. I think this is what, you know, your daughter has, but I'm going to test for a couple other things. Well, anyway, a few days later, 
came back and, and the results came back. And so we at least understood why that was all happening. So um, she had to, at like two and a half weeks old, she had to get transported in an ambulance from Sutter Roseville down to um, Sutter Memorial, which which is not around anymore. Now they have like a five-star resort essentially at, at the Sutter General, the Lucchese Center in Sacramento. I wish that was available when we were there, but Sutter Memorial had that level three NICU and Sutter Roseville didn't. So, so your baby gets transported. Baby gets in. transported down. Not only that, I mean, I feel like we went from like the Hyatt to like a third world country. I mean, this hospital, I think they just took a wrecking ball to it a couple of years ago because it was so old and there wasn't even individual rooms. They literally had like all these kids in these incubators mm. in this one room and there was like the, the dividers were like a line of tape. So, I mean, it, it wasn't a super comforting environment for us, but yeah. we knew that the level of care she was getting was, was, was you know, at the top of the area. So that's what um, kind of got us through that. And she had to have surgery um, at three weeks old because she wasn't able to swallow and eat herself because she didn't have a gag reflex. So they actually had to put in a small incision into my daughter's stomach and put, it's called a, a GI tube in there to feed her through. Um, and one of the cool stories out of this is we were finally able to take her home. I mean, it was still, mm. it was still really like a, like an unstable thing. I mean, I mean, waking up in the middle of the night, like there was like alarms going off in our bedroom and, and not knowing if she was breathing. I mean, it wasn't like a peaceful thing, right? It wasn't fun. Yeah, it wasn't fun. So it's like, yeah, we get to take her home, but like every day it was like, like, is she going to make it right? So, um, one day her, her tube somehow, I don't remember what was in there. My wife knows exactly, but there was something that clogged her tube. So we couldn't feed her in the way that we were doing through a syringe. So, um, and I think it was, it was on or right before mother's day. And so we're like, okay, well, we're gonna have to bring her in. She has to eat. So we're gonna have to see, maybe the doctors have to find out a way to get it out. So my wife's just like, Hey, let's just try to give her a bottle. And that night, it was a complete miracle. She gave her a bottle and, and she, she was able to eat it herself. And so a lot of these things are like blessings in disguise. You know, you, you, you're, you're, you're in your situation or whatever, but there's, there's things that happen that are part of the goodness and the love of, 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 of everything around us and why we're here that, that creates moments that you are completely out of control and then something comes in to surprise you and in a good way and she was able to eat and we would have never even tested that out yeah. if, if that tube didn't get plugged. Dude, so incredible. That was cool. So three weeks she comes home and then the whole year, I mean, I think that year was a tough year for you, right? Yeah. Cause there was other things that came up. Yeah. I mean, so gosh, I mean, this is, this is crazy. I mean, not, not to dive into too much detail, but, um, I just started my new job at LASI and, uh, the first week, my daughter was not only still in, in the NICU at Sutter Memorial, but um, my mom about two and a half years prior to starting my job and my daughter being born was diagnosed with stage three ovarian cancer. And uh, through a, a really gnarly battle, um, she might've felt good for maybe two or three months of that process, but um, um, she actually passed the week I started my job at LAS. Wait a second. So you have your kid who has issues not what you had expected you start a brand new job and your mom passes away yeah within like a month yeah within six weeks dear god yeah and it was it was it was one of the hardest things but it was one of the neatest things that showed me like how strong that love bond is um 
is my my mom i mean she when she finally passed away she was probably about 65 pounds and she just held wow. on as long as she could and she just experience it and she got, she had to meet her first granddaughter <laughs> and like i remember my dad took her over when we were back in sutter roseville while things had kind of mellowed out she had her surgery and my mom really wanted to go see her for like the second time and um my dad got her in the car brought her over there and she came in and held her for about 10 minutes and then she was in so much pain she you know they she was like hey hey john i gotta my dad hey we gotta go um but just for that that time mm-hmm. she got to come and, and connect i mean that was how beautiful really special yeah so to look inward for a second how are you how were you a husband and dad during that time like you're brand new at this and I guess were there things that you felt you did well and then maybe things that you wish you would have known yeah I mean I would say is um and at my core I believe this firmly is to always be honest and vulnerable and so um you know I'm, I'm gonna be that right now I I I don't know how I was in, being a good dad I mean I was I was going through so much pain and hurt. Um, you know, I was I was drinking a lot and I was really just doing things to mask what was going on, but at the same time I was I was in survival mode and I was, you know, trying to make the right decisions and um be there for my family. But I, I, I do believe that there was you know, there was a divine force uh that's ultimately love that was that was just there, that was guiding us and 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 bringing us through that process in ways that i don't think we'll ever be able to explain in this life but um what i think is i mean just hearing you say it because i heard somebody say this recently is is like people listening right now are like oh my gosh i either i'm going through that and it's so tough or i couldn't imagine going through that that sounds like i couldn't handle it but grace right there's Mm. this there's something that is coming and and giving you what you need to make it through you still have to choose to accept that and and do it but it's possible you know and you said you'd been drinking a lot and and that that wasn't healthy or working for you was there an end point in that 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 you realize like this isn't healthy yeah i would say that um like you it depends on how you're using it using that as as a form of escape um, yeah, I would say that probably, that probably stopped several years ago. Um, and now it's just more for something that I enjoy, like my wife and I have some wine or in a social situation. But, um, I think it's easy to get into whether it's alcohol or drugs and use something that really ultimately masks the pain and it never heals it. And the one thing that I would say is to encourage anyone out here that, that maybe is going through something like this or, or went through something like this in the past is, um, be aware and and deal with this stuff sooner or later because it will it will just set you up to have um just such a such a better life and and just to be content with who you are and and be a better dad i mean the, the sooner you do it and don't uh using things to escape uh whether like i said alcohol or drugs i mean it it, it feels good at the time but ultimately all you're doing is is creating more pain for yourself and then um creating maybe collateral damage for your family and people around you um and ultimately it's just kind of a selfish way to 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 go through that but sometimes you just want to be selfish and that's okay i mean this is real life and it's hard and that's probably the hardest thing i'll ever go through and um 
but at the same time if if you love your family ultimately and and you want to keep your family together like like you will you will know what's right and you will do the things to keep your family together and heal and um you know i'll have to say now we're happily married with uh three kids and um and it's uh yeah i mean it's been a crazy journey yeah so yeah to go and have a second one after you go through that and then did your daughter kind of grow out of all the stuff? Did she kind of grow out of the things or was there anything yeah, so like residual? That's the neatest thing too. Is so um, there, there was like a level of gene repeats that they based this condition off of. And um, the level that she had, they basically, the geneticist was like, you know, and they got to be conservative, but they're right. also just being honest. That's what they know. Um, they said that she was never going to walk. She, wow. she might never even eat by herself. And then remember I said, you know, that the tube yeah. got plugged, but um, yeah, I mean, there, there's things that, that, that are a challenge for her, but overall she's doing probably 85% of the stuff that, that normal kids do and she can walk and run and, um, dude, that's so incredible. It, it's, it's, it's amazing. So it's like these miracles. And I think the moral of the story is, is for most people, you know, you'll never have to go through this. You have a child, you know, your wife has this amazing, amazing pregnancy, no morning sickness, baby just pops right out, maybe a five minute delivery, like this ideal situation happens all the time, right? Um, and without that perspective, like I have, I think it's really hard to fully appreciate what you have until maybe you've gone through something like this. And I feel like my, my blessing in all this is I'm able to appreciate life and being a dad and and having kids so much more maybe than someone else because I've gone through that and I know how fragile things are and I know how many things can go um, that that are not something that you wake up and 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 pray for when you're you know getting ready to have kids so yeah dude so good I really appreciate you sharing I appreciate your honesty I appreciate you know you have this story something you went through and um there's not really a platform necessarily for us men to be able to share it and talk about it. And I know it's beneficial. So, man, I just want to say you're a great dad, a great husband. That was a rough time that you shared and you're still here and you figured out your stuff and you looked in the mirror and said, Hey, this isn't working for me. That's not working for me. I'm going to keep growing, Hmm. becoming better, not for myself, but for them. And that's huge, man. And if more dads or more of us do that, the world's going to look like a different place because we're going to be setting our kids up for better success, like you said in the very beginning of expectations. So I just want to say, oh, man, true. you're you're a great dad and you're you're doing an incredible job. Yeah, Ned, I, I've um, it's such an honor to be on this and, and share this with you guys, and ho- hopefully there'll be more times like this. But um, yeah, this has been something I've been looking forward to for a couple weeks and. I guess one last thing um, as we wrap this up I want to share with, with everyone that's listening is um, make sure as a guy you you surround yourself with a core group of friends that you can be intimate and share with. Um, I have a group of four or five guys that we meet every Monday night consistently unless you know we're out of town and um, sometimes we have an agenda, sometimes we don't, but to have that base and have that trust to where you can share anything and go through experiences with other guys that you trust. I think that's so healthy. And um, those types of relationships, I think, help us get through 
uh, really challenging times and to know that there's people that go through the same things or are there for you um, outside of your, your your wife or your immediate family, I think has been huge for me. So yeah. Yeah, thanks That's for having good. me on the on the podcast. Nick. Thanks, dude. Thank you so much. So thank you to all you dads out there listening to Rebel and Create's Fatherhood Field Notes podcast. What you do matters. Don't be like everybody else. Be yourself. That is who your kids, your spouse, and the community needs. This is your guide, Ned Shout. Together, let's rebel against the view that fatherhood has little impact and create lives engaged in the craft of fatherhood. Fatherhood.